Hey everyone, and welcome to Off the Record, a show where we talk candidly on practical advice and provide insight on issues across the criminal law landscape. As counsel for the defense, we speak from a position of authority, giving you, our audience, the expert knowledge that you deserve. You'll hear from a variety of hosts with their unique experiences for our discussions, giving you the opportunity to learn something new and with a different point of view. Let's get into it. As counsel for defense, I have a different take on things than you generally hear. So for DUIs, it's one of the most discussed areas in criminal law because most people go through their entire life and they never see the backseat of a police car, which is wonderful. However, there are also a number of people who would never have intentionally committed any kind of crime who end up in handcuffs in the backseat of a police car and usually after leaving a bar or a restaurant. And when you get pulled over and you see those flashing lights behind you, it seems like all rational thought leaves you and you have no idea what to do except panic. So this is to give you a few tips on what to do if you are stopped. So the first thing to know is you have the right to remain silent and you should use that right. And it is difficult for people when they've been drinking to remember to use the right to remain silent. But you want to because it's not only what you say, it's how you say it. If you've been drinking, you may not realize that your speech is slurred, it's confused, you're stumbling over words, you're repeating yourself, you're speaking way too fast or way too slow. And of course, one of my favorites that people tend to say, I can't even do that sober. You don't realize you just admitted that, well, if you can't do it sober, you must be drunk at the time. So we definitely recommend just politely saying, I wish to remain silent. And if you want to be even more careful, when they ask you for your driver's license, your insurance, you should not roll your window down all the way. If you feel that you are going to let out a huge wafting smell of alcohol or marijuana or whatever the choice may be that has you possibly under the influence. If you roll down your window far enough so the police officer can hear you and you can hand out your items, that is sufficient to be responding to their questions. You don't actually have to roll the window down and answer everything they tell you and run at the mouth. You can just politely say, I wish to remain silent, here's my paperwork. And wait in your car and wait for them to tell you what to do next. The next thing to think about, once you've had that fear of the blue lights in the window, you're now pulled over, you have the officer at your window asking you for your paperwork, you've turned it all over. The next part is you decide whether you want to participate in field sobriety tests. In almost every jurisdiction, field sobriety tests are considered optional. What that means is you can choose to do them or you can politely decline and they can't use that decline against you. What most people do is 
they figure, I know enough about this, I can go ahead and pass. Those tests are not designed for you to pass, they are designed for you to fail. And when you take them, that overconfidence generally works against you. So some of the tests that they give you are the horizontal gaze and stigmas test. That is one where they ask you to follow a light pen with your eyes. The idea of that is as they move the pen further and further outside of the scope of your sight, basically closer towards your ear, if you've been drinking, your eye begins to shake and it is something you cannot control. So that test is something there's no way to get around. There's no way to cheat on it. Nothing. You just, if you've been drinking, you generally fail that. However, there is a lot of science that you can use in court to argue about that test and how much or whether your eye is shaking is often subjective based on the officer. So if the officer has a lot of training, they may be more forgiving of a little bit of a shake. Whereas if they're brand new on the job, if they see any movement, they assume you're completely wasted. Another test that they do is the heel to toe. That's the one where you get your balance tested and you put your arms out at your side and they will hopefully, but not always, hopefully pick a flat surface and ask you to walk heel to toe, heel to toe a certain number of steps. So they're looking for a few things there. They're looking for whether or not you follow directions, meaning you start when they tell you to start, you stop when they tell you to stop, how good your balance is with your arms out, whether or not you can actually stand up or whether you tip over to the sides or you have to put your foot out of the line or what you need to do. Most people have trouble with this even if they have not been drinking. It is one of those tests that we joke, if you're gonna practice it, that might be one to practice, especially if you wear high heels, practice it in high heels because they will make you do it regardless of the weather or regardless of what you're wearing. You will have to stand out on the side of the road, on a sidewalk, wherever it is, and try to test your balance. Another thing that they like to do are memory tests. In my opinion, I don't think you should practice memorizing the alphabet backwards. It's kind of a running joke with people that I can do the alphabet backwards. Well, most people on average can't do that. So if the officer asks you to do the alphabet backwards and you can quickly rattle off all the letters, it's going to seem like that's something you've practiced. And even though you did it correctly, it's likely still gonna be used against you. Also, any of those tests are another way to get you to speak in speaking in a manner that they're looking for, whether you're slurring your words, whether you're confused, can you follow the directions? Do you actually stop at the letter K if they tell you to stop at the letter K? All of those sorts of things. They are all designed to try to get you to fail. And one of the ways you can really see this is in court and trial. One of the things that defense attorneys love to do is have that officer come in that pulled you over for that DUI. And when they're coming in, they're off the end of a shift and they're tired, you have them try to pass the field sobriety test. Because often what they do is they merely recite what the test is in court. They don't actually try to perform it. So if you have them try to actually perform a heel to toe, heel to toe test in front of you, 
and in front of a jury, they often can't do it in a manner that would be considered passing either. So you've gotten to the point where you've been pulled over, you've provided your information, you've hopefully politely but firmly requested the right to remain silent be enforced by saying, I wish to remain silent, and you have hopefully refused field sobriety tests. The next thing is the field blood alcohol test, which is really a breath test. Now that test in most states is considered optional. And here's why. There are actually two tests. There's the test that they do with the portable alcohol sensor, the PADS test. That's the one that they carry in their car. That's the one that gives them like a fast and dirty reading on your approximate blood alcohol. That test is the test that most states allow you to decline. And the reason for that is it's inaccurate. It is inaccurate to the point where those are often not able to be used in court because they can't pass the variety of tests that are required for scientific certainty of certain things. So the PAS test, you can go ahead and decline that in most states and not have any issue with it. In my personal opinion, the choice of whether or not to pass or whether or not to engage in the PAS test comes down to how you think you're going to do. And what I mean by that is, if you had one glass of wine three hours ago and you haven't had anything since, odds are very high that you are going to pass the PAS test. If you have been at the bar, watching a game, had a couple shots, had some beers to go with it, and you've been drinking pretty steadily for the prior few hours, then you're probably gonna fail. So in that case, you may want to decline the PAS test. And this comes down to basic science, basic math. So most people go through alcohol or basically metabolize it at the rate of 0.02 an hour. Again, that's an approximate, it depends on size, weight, how used to alcohol you are, all sorts of things. But that's a good approximation. The other half of that is that your blood alcohol can raise by 0.02 per drink. And per drink means either a four ounce glass of wine, a one ounce shot, or an eight ounce beer. Each one of those is considered a drink. So if you have a margarita that they put three shots in, that's considered three drinks, not one, when you're doing the blood alcohol math. So if you're sitting back thinking, well, I only had two glasses of wine, but they were really big, I might be close, you want to consider whether you want to actually take that test or if you want to wait to get to the station or the hospital to take either a blood or a breath test. They used to offer urine, but most places stopped doing that because it's completely inaccurate. As far as the blood versus breath, most attorneys have a preference on that. My thinking is it kind of depends. And I know that's not a great answer, but what it depends on is how long ago it's been that you were drinking. So has it been a couple hours where waiting that extra half an hour for a breath test will put you under because your body's also metabolizing the alcohol out at 0.02 an hour. So if you were at 0.1, 
and it's been an hour since you were point one, then your body is starting to go on the downhill slide, so you're probably at point oh eight. You wait another hour, you're probably at point oh six, somewhere in that neighborhood. So if you're thinking in your head, how much have I had to drink? When did I stop drinking? That's gonna help you decide what you wanna do. If you are pretty certain that you are sky high and you are going to have a high result, whether it be breath or blood, then you can choose to try to decline that test, either breath or blood. The main difference between breath and blood is breath is not considered as accurate as blood. Blood will also pick up anything else in your system. So if you also, you know, stepped outside and decided to smoke out, it will pick that up. It'll pick up prescription medications. Even if you have a prescription, if it's opioids or some, it's going to pick all of that up. All of that is considered driving under the influence. It's not merely alcohol. So there's that to take into consideration. If you're pretty sure you have something else in your system, go for the breath. If you are sure that you only have alcohol in your system, you can choose breath or blood. Usually there is a time delay between when the blood is drawn versus a breath test because to get the blood draw, they have to get somebody qualified to do it. And that person often is at a hospital. So usually they take you to the ER and they have you sit and wait and they handcuff you to the bed. And when a nurse gets time, they come in and they draw your blood. However, there is a time delay in that. So again, that DUI math is why we can't give anybody a great answer when they ask us, well, what should I do? Should I do breath or blood? The basic answer is, depends on what you have in your system, how much you drink, when you stop drinking. And of course, there is always the option of attempting to decline either test. Why I say there is the option is they have found that driving is a privilege not a right so they can force you by holding you down or strapping you down to give blood and they can literally force you down and take your blood the other thing they can do is simply decide not to do that and go ahead and cite you as a refusal they can also cite you as a refusal and take your blood anyway what happens in most states with a refusal is you are automatically given a license suspension. No ifs, ands, or buts. The only question is, did you actually refuse? If you did, there goes your license. For example, in California, it's automatically a year. If you refuse, you automatically lose your driving privilege for a year. So that is something to consider if you decide to decline the test. Most people, when they're deciding between do I want a suspension or should I, you know, should I go ahead and take it, are people that know they either have a lot of drugs in their system or somebody that knows they're going to come back at least twice the limit, meaning they're going to get an enhanced sentence. So, or they're on their second, third, whatever it is, they decide that maybe it's better just to not have that blood alcohol in the record and go ahead and take the suspension. Again, that choice is up to you. So, just to recap, the general way it goes when you get pulled over for a DUI, assuming that you've just been driving standard, there was no accident or injury or anything involved, you're pulled over, you have to provide 
any information they request along the lines of a driver's license and proof of insurance. And you should try to do that calmly, carefully, and with the window only partially down to not give them what's called probable cause or the smell of alcohol in order to get you out of the car and continue to test you. So try to do that calmly, carefully, and as reasonably as you can. If they decide they're gonna go ahead and pull you out of the car, they're going to ask you if you wanna perform field sobriety tests. In most jurisdictions, you can go ahead and decline, and you probably should. Then they're going to ask you if you wanna take the PAS test. They're gonna pop their trunk, they're gonna have a lovely little tube for you to blow into, and they're gonna ask you to do it. Again, in most places, without consequence, you can just decline that and wait and see what happens when you get to the station. You can either get your blood drawn or you can give breath. And then it kind of all goes from your results from there. Blood, they have to wait for the results. So they can still cite you out pending the results, but some places do that, some places don't because they're too busy. Again, it's kind of jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Well, as far as other things with DUI, what I would suggest is also remember there are often cameras in the police cars. They also have microphones and usually the booking rooms at the station have cameras. People need to be reminded of this because when you go to trial, they will insert the disc and press play on your stop. And if you have been drinking and you decide to go ahead and give a run at those field sobriety tests, the jury will get to see just how well you did on them. Also, most people don't realize that the booking rooms have cameras. So I have had clients that have been perfectly stoic, doing very well on their DUI stop till the officer walks away. As soon as the officer walks away, they think nobody's watching him. <laughs> They're not being recorded. They let it all loose. Oh, I can't believe she thinks I'm sober. I'm getting away with it. And then sometimes they throw up in the trash can there. So you kind of want to watch out for that as well. I've had other clients who've fallen out of the car. They have been drinking quite a bit. They go to open the door and they decide at that moment after they've opened the door to unbuckle their seatbelt. The result, you see on video, a lovely, clear, clean shot of them barreling out sideways of the car and rolling out and hitting the ground. So again, not, not the best idea. So when you are stopped, if you are ever stopped, try to keep your wits about you. It is difficult. Everybody gets nervous when they see the blue lights behind them. But if you can remember the few things we've gone over, try to remember your right to remain silent and use it. You can decline field sobriety tests in most places. You can decline the local in-car alcohol testing. And you can go ahead and go to the station or, you know, on scene, you can choose breath or blood, or you can re refuse, that's gonna be up to you. They will read you those offers. And if you are going to refuse, they will tell you what the consequences for the refusal are. So you have a moment to think about it before you make your choice. 
with all of that in mind, we of course here at Imhoff do not advocate drinking and driving. We don't suggest it. It's not a good idea, but if there is any crime that almost everybody at some point has committed, it is probably DUI. So with that, I thank you for joining us for this episode of Off the Record. Don't forget to share and also subscribe so you don't miss the next one. If you want to ask a question on a future episode, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at offtherecordpodcast at criminalattorney.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Imhoff Associate, or you can send us a tweet at Criminal News. Until the next time, the defense rests. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Off the Record. Don't forget to share and also subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Want to ask a question on a future episode? We'd love to hear from you. So email us at offtherecordpodcast at criminalattorney.com. Follow us on Instagram at Imhoff Associates or send us a tweet at Criminal News. Until next time, the defense rests.